You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Well, good morning, Redemption Hill Church, and um, thanks for tuning in. And if you're our guest or a visitor and you're clicking on and watching or listening to this particular sermon. I just want to say thanks for taking interest. If you want to learn more about Redemption Hill Church, you can go to our website, www.redemptionhilldsm.org, and there you can learn about Redemption Hill Church, what we believe in, uh, things that we do. You can check out some of the resources that we have, such as our podcast and under 10-minute devos, and that's just a way that we want to bless you and encourage you to to love Jesus, to make much of Jesus, to get into God's Word, to learn more about who God is and what that means for your life. And so, guests and visitors, thanks for uh, taking interest in this particular uh, sermon. We are in the book of Acts. If you do not know the sermon series, it is entitled, The World Turned Upside Down. One of the main ideas of the sermon series is that the kingdom of God advances through the preaching of the gospel. And when that, when that happens, individual worlds are turned upside down. We even see in the book of Acts how communities are turned upside down as churches are planted. And when those churches are planted, they become an outpost for the world surrounding that particular local church. Uh, Another point I have been putting in front of you over uh, the last year or so, right? We've been going through the book of Acts for quite a while. Um, It's that this particular local church, Redemption Hill Church, stands in the historical line of the first century church, the church that we're reading about in the book of Acts. We want to preach what they preached, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, We want to withstand persecution the way that we see the early church withstand persecution over and over and over again, and did so with joy. Uh, We want to love the way that they loved. They loved (laughs) um, with the love of Christ. And that had a powerful effect on individuals. We see that. And it had a powerful effect on the world. And so this particular local church wants to stand in that particular historical line. And when we read Acts, we see how we can apply uh, much of what we read for today, right now. And so uh, this particular book has helped us to see much about God's kingdom and our role and purpose in God's kingdom. So with all that, it's just a bit of a a recap of of, of this particular sermon series. I want to invite you all to open your Bible to Acts 15. Uh, If you don't know, uh, book of Acts is in the New Testament. If you just read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, next book there is the book of Acts. The book of Acts has 28 chapters, and we're in chapter 15, probably maybe up to 30 sermons in uh, to this particular sermon series. So we've been going slow, but there's a lot for us to glean from God's Word. So chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verses 36 to 41. 36 to 41. Now here is God's Word for us this morning. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them 
to the work and had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and he took him to uh, Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me briefly. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that every word in the Bible, every word in your word is for us. It's for our good. It helps us to learn more about who you are and your great mission to redeem your elect people and to draw them to yourself. And thank you that we, we see that in the book of Acts. So we trust by the power of your spirit, you will be with us right now. As we look at your word, we stand underneath wanting you to instruct our heart and instruct our life. We want this and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what just happened, right? What just happened for 25 verses in Acts 15? In two sermons, mind you, the last two sermons that I've preached, we have seen the importance of being united because of the unadulterated gospel of free grace. And in today's passage, it's like, Paul and Barnabas did what? What happened here? Before I address the elephant that was in their room, (laughs) let me remind you of the relationship that existed between Paul and Barnabas, these two great apostles in the early church the dynamic and depth of their relationship makes their split really just very perplexing. Like, how did we go from here to here? And yes, I do think there are unanswered questions as to why they diverged, right? They went on different paths. We first read about Barnabas in Acts 4. At the immediate growth of the church, Barnabas sold all of his property and he gave all the proceeds to the church. So he was a wealthy man. He owned property, and if you owned property back in that time, you were considered wealthy, sold it, here's the money. He took all the money and gave it to the local church. We know uh, Barnabas was a a person who was uh, one who encouraged. He, He lived up to the reputation of his name, which is son of encouragement. Barnabas reappears several chapters later in Acts 9, Uh, After Paul was just saved on the road to Damascus, he and Barnabas appear in Jerusalem. The leaders in Jerusalem are are a bit apprehensive to accept Paul, and you know, perhaps rightfully so, they know of Paul's reputation. Like before he got converted, he was persecuting Christians. (laughs) And so the church in Jerusalem knew this about Paul. But it is Barnabas who steps forth and vouches for Paul. He's like, this is my guy. Paul is my guy. I have seen the work of God in his life. I can, I can testify to his conversion. To some degree, Barnabas is putting his neck on the line for Paul. At the same time, it was, and after some time, excuse me, it was Barnabas in Acts 11 who pursued Paul, who was living in Tarsus. Barnabas was doing, doing ministry in Antioch, 
the church was growing, and, and Barnabas knows the theological depth and the preaching gift that Paul has. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to go to Tarsus. I'm going to convince Paul to leave Tarsus and come to Antioch because God is doing something great here. It was Barnabas who got Paul into the game. It was not long after when Paul, Barnabas, and another individual, along with others, but this one in particular, John Mark, boarded a ship for Cyprus to preach the gospel. When this happens, this kicks off what is commonly called Paul's first missionary journey. At the end of this first missionary journey, and then we've seen this the last two weeks, Paul and Barnabas were together in Jerusalem. They were at this Jerusalem council, and they were making their case in front of the council about the gospel of free grace. Now, quick reminder what's going on here. There were, there were those who were saying it's grace plus works equals equal salvation. Paul and Barnabas were like, uh-uh. And, and they went to the council in Jerusalem. And you know what? They won the day. <laughs> they debated and they, and they won the day. And I imagine in my own head that leaving the council, Paul and Barnabas were like giving each other high fives. Well, the, the friendship of Paul and Barnabas was also, also for, forged, obviously, though, in the crucible of ministry. You might remember the time Paul was almost stoned to death, right? People throwing stones because they didn't like what he was saying, and he almost died. And it would have been his friend Barnabas there to save him. I think it's worth pausing for a moment in light of what we've seen Uh, regarding the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, it's worth pausing to mention what is not said in the pages of Scripture, but what we surely know to be the case between these two friends. Together they have seen the ups and downs of life, right? They have experienced the joy and hardship of ministry. They would have laughed together. They would have shed tears together. They would have known each other's family history, like, hey, Paul, where, where do you come from? What's your family like? Hey, Barnabas, where are you from? What's your family like? They would have known that information, the, the intimacy of those details. They would have known each other's personal struggles, their greatest fears, and their hope for tomorrow. They read the Bible together. They sang songs of worship together. They lived together as partners in the gospel and they almost died together. I think it is safe to say their friendship had roots that ran deep. So what happened? <laughs> what happened? We are not out of Acts 15, and the Jerusalem Council settled the most important debate of the first century That's where the call for unity in the gospel had won the day. And then in verse 39, we read a sharp disagreement arose between these two friends. I thought the sharp disagreement arose at the Jerusalem council. I never would have expected it here in verse 39. The disagreement was so sharp that there was not going to be a second missionary journey where Paul and Barnabas would come together and labor together in the ministry, at least what we read in the pages of Scripture. A friendship uh, forged by fire has just been like kind of ripped apart. You know, before looking at the details of the passage, 
Uh, many of you can relate to the tension between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, you've been in a relationship. You've had like maybe a friend or a family member where uh, the relationship seems un- unmovable, right? There's trust there. Roots run deep. Your friendship had been forged through trials and the fires of life. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Just one thing. And that one thing seems to change the trajectory of the relationship. One disagreement seemed to upend years of friendship. Let me ask you this question as clear as possible. Because I think this is where... Uh, the gospel can be applied to our lives. How does the grace of the gospel impact a relationship that all of a sudden goes sideways? <laughs> as we look at the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, and as you look at the relationships in your own life, perhaps you're thinking of a particular circumstance for yourself, right? This is an extremely relevant question. It's relevant because y'all have relationships. And sometimes in a relationship with another person, when you're in a relationship with another person, things get heated, right? Passions are inflamed, right? Two different opinions can result in the distancing of the relationship. Think about it this way for a moment. For the majority of Acts 15, we're going to take just Acts 15 alone we saw what it looks like for a person to be saved. We, we understand what a person to be saved. It is the unadulterated grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how a person is saved. But now we need to ask the question, how do we apply the grace of the gospel to our lives, especially in situations where, wow, man, people just disagree. And sometimes that does something to relationships. I mean, let me just give you a few th- Uh, examples, right? Like, who are you going to vote for this fall? (laughs) You ever talk to somebody who you disagree with on politics? Uh, What do you think about COVID-19? Right? When and where should you wear a mask? What do you do when you do not agree with someone else, especially close relationships. Could be a spouse, could be even a child, could be a, a close friend, a member in the church, somebody in the community, a neighbor, a coworker. What do you do? We have a lot to learn from, from what I from what I think is an unfortunate disagreement between these two beloved apostles, Paul and Barnabas. Now, before looking at the details of their disagreement, Let's see what they did agree upon, because that's important as well. Here's the big idea that united Paul and Barnabas, especially as we read about it in Acts 15. They wanted to return to all the churches, to all the cities where there were churches that they initially visited and, in many cases, planted. They wanted to return to places in Cyprus, Antioch and Pisidian, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and there are other places and they, they said in these places that faith in the crucified 
and resurrected Son of God is the only way a person can be saved from the judgment of God and be made right in front of a holy and just God. You know, that was their message, and people responded to it in droves at times. Many responded to the preached word, and they were saved. So one can easily assume there were a bunch of young churches that would benefit from a visit from these more mature Christians, from these apostles. The idea of going back to these cities, I think, is a sign of intense passion for Paul and Barnabas to see these individuals and these churches mature. They, they, there's a maturation process when a person gets saved as they continue to grow. And they wanted to be a part of that. They knew the work wasn't done. So Paul and Barnabas agree on what needs to be done. Praise God that they felt called to go back to those churches to see people grow in their understanding of the gospel and then how to live out the gospel. They needed to grow in their application of the gospel. What we read in verse 36 isn't unusual for your life, right? Whether it is with someone at your workplace, with your spouse, a member of the local church, someone in the community, you or you and that other person may, may have the same end goal, right? But the real question is how to achieve the agreed upon end goal. There is agreement in what needs to be done, but what happens when there is disagreement with the means of, of how to achieve the end? <laughs> what do you do with that disagreement? In verse 37 and 38, we see why Paul and Barnabas began like the butt heads, right? You hear those verses. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Now let's just call him John Mark for now. But Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. Now there's some context as to why Paul resisted John Mark. Earlier in Acts, we see John Mark accompanying Paul and Barnabas. John Mark was there when Paul uh, interacted with this false prophet and sorcerer at Salamis, right? This city called Salamis. But then in Acts 13, verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Pamphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, clearly put, what are they, how do they say it? A bee up Paul's bonnet. <laughs> Without explanation, John Mark leaves. We do not know why. We do not know what happened. We can only speculate in some of these questions of why. Even in today's passage, we're not told why he left. All we know is that Paul was not happy with how it all shook down. On the other hand, and perhaps not surprising, Barnabas was okay with John Mark rejoining the mission. Um, it's likely that Barnabas and John Mark were cousins, which means they had a familial relationship, right? And that could have been a reason why Barnabas did not dismiss John Mark, despite his apparent desertion at Salamis. What we do know is that we don't know the details of why John Mark left on this first missionary journey. 
And we do not know why Paul was unable to give John Mark a second chance. Some commentators, R.C. Sproul included, believed Paul was justified to exclude John Mark. If John Mark could not prove himself the first time around, surely he would slow down the progress the second time around. Like, if he was causing consternation here, I surely wouldn't want it here, right? Some people say Paul was using wisdom there. Other commentators are more reluctant to give the Apostle Paul credit for this take on John Mark. Like, where is the grace in not giving someone a second chance? I think that's fair. And I think that's a fair, fair question. Well, their disagreement did not seem to end well. The disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Look at verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Wow. (laughs) Wow, man. This seems like a really unhealthy divorce. I mean, let's not try to sugarcoat the situation, which I think some, some pastors, commentators, and theologians try to do. They try to let Paul off the hook. And I'm, I'm saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think there's more to the story. Remember, remember the kind of relationship Paul and Barnabas have had. And all of a sudden, they're just going to like disagree and depart from each other? Let's not try to explain away the consequences of their disagreement. It looks like years of friendship and pastoral ministry is ending over a dispute about who should or shouldn't be on the missions team. Now, this was not a mild disagreement. I don't think so. Uh, The Greek word behind the English word for sharp disagreement, and notice how uh, disagreement is qualified with the word sharp, And I think it is because in the Greek, this means like there was a violent explosion between the two. They were so angry with each other, it could have led to some rage. I mean, we can easily apply that to our own lives, right? Have you ever been so angry with someone that you just lash out in frustration? I mean, you all can picture that in your head. This isn't like a mild disagreement like, you know, um, what color of the carpet do you want to do, honey? You know, what color of the walls do we want to paint? You know, I mean, maybe some couples go to the sharp disagreement, but, you know, most people are kind of like, yeah, blue, light blue, uh, tan, what well, well, grade of tan, whatever. Perhaps it's just me. But regardless of the level of anger, Paul and Barnabas drew their respective lines like in the sand, and neither was going to give an inch. I mean, Have you ever been in that kind of situation where you're like, I'm not going to give an inch. We're just butting heads. As you contend with this passage, I think it's helpful to mention uh, this particular aspect about the Bible. Because what we see here, I think, is something that we are not all all, uh, in tune to all the time when we read our Bibles. The Bible tells us about sinful individuals who are striving to live for God just like you and me right? Like, the Bible is raw and real. It talks about people. It talks about who God is, but how people can come to know God, but in that are, are stories like we have right here. It's very raw and real. We, you know, sometimes we, we deify a person in the Bible who is not Jesus, and that's wrong. We should never do that. Consider the following individuals um, that sometimes we look up to, and we're like, well, unfortunately, Upon further review, 
Uh, there's some questions, like Abraham. Father Abraham, you know the song Father Abraham who had many sons? Well, he had a particular son out of wedlock. He had a son with his Egyptian slave, Hagar. And then because of the jealousy of his wife, Sarah, Abraham allows Sarah to treat Hagar so poorly that Hagar runs away with his son. (laughs) Great job, Abraham. Your failure to trust God manifested itself in poor spiritual leadership in the home. Good job, Abraham. I mean, shall I mention Moses for a moment? I mean, Moses gave Israel the law, but Moses was also a murderer. And I can't talk about the great men of the Bible without mentioning King David. He's a man after God's own heart. (laughs) He was also after the heart of Bathsheba. So what does he do? He commits adultery, then kills Bathsheba's husband. No gold star for that man. In mentioning these fathers of the faith and in looking at this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, I'm not trying to like, cast doubt. I want you to see, though, how the Bible tells us about the problems and sins that existed thousands of years ago kind of continue to this day. Like there's nothing new under the sun. While I'm not aware of anyone at Redemption Hill Church who has murdered anyone, we have all allowed our anger towards someone to overflow into sin. The Bible is ruthlessly honest about how sin has affected the people that we um, might look up to or consider, consider our closest friends or companions. And the Bible is ruthlessly honest to tell us that because of sin, we need God. We need God's help. So in light of the impasse between Paul and Barnabas, which may or may not have been sinful, I tend to think it was, the question now on the table is, do we see any resolution, right, in light of what happened? Well, yes and no. We do and we don't, at least initially. Here's where we do see some, what I want to call reconciliation from the split between Paul and Barnabas. But the reconciliation or, or resolution is no thanks to Paul and Barnabas. In this passage, we actually see the providence of God at work. Uh, the doctrine of God's providence is actually a very helpful theological concept. If you don't know it, here's what I mean by providence. Uh, here's just one thought for you regarding that. It's this, the entire world and your life, and we talk, when we talk about the providence of God, are not ruled by chance, it's not ruled by fate, but they are ruled by God. And as they are ruled by God, God's good purposes always come to fruition. Always come to fruition. God does not allow the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas to thwart his plan. You notice that? God actually uses the consequences of their disagreement to multiply the gospel mission. Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus Paul and Silas headed towards Syria and Cilicia. Instead of one mission, we got two, just multiplied. And the goal of all these men is the same, to strengthen the existing churches. More ground is literally being covered because of their sharp disagreement. 
Now, pointing out the providence of God does not let, in my opinion, Paul and Barnabas off the hook for a seemingly unresolved tension. I don't think so. I, I, I'm not going to be that generous because of what I've already mentioned of what we see in Scripture. Sinful men who make bad decisions, but God uses. And sinful men who are striving to love God, by the way, as well. I think it's a little bit what we see here. What we also see from this passage is that although there is a disagreement, we've got to remember there is still one gospel. Now, would it be better they did not disagree? Uh, perhaps. Would it be better that their disagreement led to their uh, divergence, one going one way, the other one going the other way? I think so. Especially if there's disagreement is, is as bad as I, the Greek word suggests, which I think it does. I think it's bad. But does their disagreement need to be a barrier to their personal gospel advancement? In this case, No. They love the gospel of free grace. We know that from what we read prior in Acts 15. They fought the battle together in, at the Jerusalem Council. But the relationship clearly hit a speed bump in the road. Now, let me speak a bit more about the speed bump. Because we all run into speed bumps with other people from time to time. There is nothing in Acts 15, in my opinion, telling us the parting ended well here. We hope it did end well eventually, and I'll get to that here in a moment. What I am confident in saying is that when disagreements arise, we do need to allow Christian unity to hold sway. We are united in the gospel, and we need to allow that to hold sway. Christian unity is infused with Christ-like love. We need to love others as well. Also, when you disagree with someone, remember that the grace of God that has been poured upon your life, what do you do with that grace that God has poured onto you? You extend it to other people. And we are challenged and need to heed the challenge, accept the challenge to extend that grace to people we disagree with. Again, let's... Let me give you a few examples here, some very relevant examples. I, I mentioned them prior. I'm going to be a little more specific now. Let's talk about politics. When you disagree with someone on Facebook or over any given political issue, is your political position on an issue of greater value than loving that other person? Like, you've got to think that through. Is loving them up here or down here? Or are you just trying to make a point and then you just want to rub it in? Like, I don't need to tell you this. We all know this right now. I mean, social media can be savage. And we really need to think well as Christians, especially as we engage politics. It's election year, right? How to think well about loving well, loving others well, extending grace to others. What I'm not saying is that you cannot have an opinion, Right? I have lots of opinions. I got a ton of opinions. Anyone who knows me well, <laughs> y'all know I love opinion. I have opinions and I love to share my opinions. What I am saying is that our opinions need to be guide, guided and governed by love for others. 
I think, I think to some degree that's what's missing between Paul and Barnabas. At least in that situation where they had a sharp disagreement. Now, if politics isn't controversial enough, uh, this sure is. Let's talk about masks for a moment. Yes, masks. Those things you put on your face. For all you folks who are anti-mask, do you value your liberty to not wear a mask over loving another person? For all you pro-mask folks, do you find greater value in mask shaming another person uh, who's not wearing a mask (laughs) over loving that person well? Right? No matter where you fall down on that particular issue, you're asking the same question. How do I love the other person well in light of our disagreement? Because you know what? Both sides have charts. Both sides have stories. Both sides have uh, statistics. (laughs) They just want to pull it out and show you. What I'm talking about is that when there is a sharp disagreement between you and another person, are you loving that person like Jesus would love that person? It does not matter what side of the debate you land on if your interaction with that other person is not motivated with love, with Christ-like love, and not communicated with Christ-like love. There are times when finding a resolution to a disagreement is laying down your preferences for the sake of someone else. You know, we saw this principle shot through Acts 15 when the Jerusalem council had asked the Gentile Christians to be respectful of the Jews who converted to Christianity. The Gentile Christians laid down some of their Christian liberties, some of their, some of their uh, freedoms, as it were, right, for the sake of Christian unity. One wonders if Paul and or Barnabas should have laid down their strong preferences about John Mark for the sake of unity. Well, we'll never know. But you want to know who laid it all on the line for the sake of unity in the body of Christ? Jesus. Here's what God's word says about laying it all down for the sake of others. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote these words from prison in Rome about our Lord Jesus. These words were written after his dispute and disagreement with Barnabas. And remember, verse 5 of Philippians 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ and Jesus. And what kind of mind are we to have? Are we to emulate? Are we to live out? Here it is. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Talk about our Savior, Jesus. He laid it all on the line for you, Christian. 
And that is who we are supposed to emulate. So where does this leave us? We see the ultimate example of Christ, right? I just said that. But what do we do with Paul and Barnabas? And man, John Mark surely took a hit because of Paul's insistence that he not join him on the second missionary journey. Like, talk about a hit to the ego. More significantly, what do you do with a disagreement with a friend, a loved one, or someone you meet for the first time and you happen to be in casual conversation and then politics comes up, right? What do you do with that Facebook post, tweet, or Instagram picture that you would disagree with 110%? And we've all seen them because we all have opinions. We read in other parts um, of Scripture, in particular Paul's writings, that reconciliation and restoration took place between Paul and Barnabas. And some type of reconciliation took place between Paul and John Mark. We read from Colossians 4.10, Barnabas and Paul did not let this incident destroy their relationship. In this verse, Paul was imprisoned, right? And he speaks of Barnabas with positive terms. At another time, and after the event in Acts 15, Paul counts Barnabas on the same level as himself. Here's that passage from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Do we not have the right to the company of a believing wife, like the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I lack the right not to work? Now, he's making a different point. The point to be made here is that he considered Barnabas on the same level as him. It seems to me that a friendship at some point was restored. My point is this. I spent a lot of time talking about their disagreement, but we can't miss how two friends who took different paths came back together. I understand we're not given much here, but we have seen enough, and I think we have enough, that we know that eventually mended fences that were broken, uh, fences that were broken were eventually mended, excuse me. And what about John Mark, right? Uh, Paul pens this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Uh, Luke alone is with me. He says, get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. It appears in the end all is well, right? Paul went from viewing Mark as useless to useful. We do not know how Paul evolved in his thoughts and feelings toward John and Mark, but there appears to be some type of reconciliation or at the very least respect for John Mark. And you know what? John Mark, he, be, he ends up being the one who writes the gospel of Mark. So here's my encouragement to you all. I've exhorted you to disagree well by loving others well. But if there's a situation with someone that has caused a rupture, my encouragement is to pursue reconciliation. Let the love of Christ in your life lead you to a place of peace and restoration. Don't delay, just do it. It would be good for you, and it would give your Savior honor and glory as you live that out in your life, loving others well. 
Again, we do not know why the sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas resulted in their split, but I think we do see throughout the rest of Holy Scripture that the grace of the gospel ultimately held sway. It is the grace of the gospel that brings people back together. It is the grace from the gospel of Jesus Christ that keeps two people with different opinions united in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. That even in the church where there are various opinions on very important issues, that uh, we can stay united because of what Christ has done for us. And so thank you, God, that you're good to us and that you are continuing to work in us for our good and for the honor and glory of your name. Amen.